what triggered this bizarre behavior. Journey into the cold heart of northern darkness with Nordic crimes. That case uh, became like a scene from a horror movie. A new true crime documentary series that chilled the bone. The hunger for killing is increasing in the course of these homicides. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Nordic Crimes is a part of the Acast family. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. So do people kind of know that you were doing this as in they would come to you if, if they thought, you know, that this person needed I, dealing with? I definitely became something of an underground personality. Forty-one-year-old Jason Vukovic is accused of violently assaulting men with a history of sexual offenses involving children. And it wasn't until I saw him come around the corner with that ritual knife that it really clicked in my mind that they're going to kill me. He says Vukovic broke into his home in the middle of the night and beat his head with a hammer. Hello, and welcome back to One Minute Remaining. My name is Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show. Today is part four of my chat with Jason Vukovic, the man they call the Alaskan Avenger. Jason is serving a sentence of 23 years in prison for the assault of three registered sex offenders, a crime he says he is 100% guilty of. Again, in this episode, I must warn you that there will be many discussions regarding abuse towards children. Listener discretion is strongly advised. As we know from our previous episode, Jason may have been convicted of three assaults. According to him, he'd already started on the path to becoming the Alaskan Avenger long before he would even move back home. He said there were many occasions when living in other states across America that he would feel compelled to come to the aid of young individuals who were being exploited in some way. Jason tells me about another incident that saw him come up against MS-13 or Mara Salvatrucha. MS-13 first popped up in California in the 70s and 80s, a Hispanic gang that quickly became notorious for its unprecedented violent retributions targeting enemy gangs as well as their entire families. MS-13 
has been called the most dangerous gang in America right now. Five alleged MS-13 gang members went before a judge today, all five charged with attempted kidnapping and plotting to kill a 16-year-old student. Well, first at four, Nassau County police come to the rescue of a man being kidnapped. Now, this terrifying story now linked to the MS-13 gang, and it all started with the man being lured to a hotel. Tensions ramped up, and so is security for cops on Long Island tonight who are taking seriously the threat by the thugs of the gang known as MS-13 to target and kill police. This is what Jason said occurred during his run-in with the violent organization. There's another occasion I lived in Bend, Oregon and ran a commercial painting business there. Um, And it was all very profound and amazing how I ended up running that business. But similarly, they were telling me about these, this MS-13 was distributing methamphetamine um, and was pimping girls out of a motel they had converted in Redmond, Oregon, um, which was about 25 miles up the road um, into like a, a, a headquarters and distribution center. And uh, strangely that day again, just I had heard about this and, and sort of meditated on it for a few days while I was working. And again, my spirit sort of led me. I drove out into central Oregon and I found this place. It was beside the, the little highway. Um, and it was an Indian shaman and his family. And they had this roadside stand. And um, in conversation with him that day, he said his family were some of the original ones that pioneered Oregon. Um, and he said he could see that I needed some assistance with some sort of battle or something like that. And, um, he gives me these ram's horns, and we go over to his ritual fire the, um, that he does his sweat lodge and all of his stuff on, and he fills those ram's horns with the ash um, from that fireplace and gave me a couple of crystals that he packed inside of them. And uh, we did some sort of little uh, Native American blessing or ritual of some type. And uh, I drive back into town, into Redmond, Oregon, and I go to this, this headquarters, and two of the motel room doors are open. Um, and I rolled those ram's horns in the front door, one in each one, and it sort of left a trail of ashes um, and gave this invocation, uh, this this invocation for some old spirits. And I kid you not, man, I rolled those things one in each door, and just like they were hand grenades or something, these two Mexican captains come running out, one out of each uh, motel room door, and they've got these cowboy boots on that have big, long, you know, curved tips on them, um, very old, traditional-looking Mexican boots. Uh, and they ran, bro. They were terrified. They ran and got in their vehicles and left. And I was like, uh, okay, hey, girls, come on out. And there was two or three girls that came out from each side. And um, 13 or 14 years old, obviously strung out on drugs. I didn't know what to do with underage, um, strung out drug addicts, mm-hmm. prostitutes. Um, so I actually drove them into Portland, Oregon, to a, a woman's shelter. was the only place I knew where to where to take them. So the next morning, I'm driving to uh, this. There was a guy named Les Schwab, and he was a self-made millionaire. Had built a large uh, uh, empire selling um, tires, built mm. his own tire production factory and everything on the West Coast. And he had given me a blank check business. That's how I ended up in that part of the world. So I'm driving towards his headquarters in Prineville, Oregon, the next morning, and and I can see very oddly and very obviously a uh, an older guy with a black biker vest on, with kind of a scarred up shaved head, standing on the side of the road with his thumb out, hitchhiking. So of course I know. I guess I need to pull over and pick this guy up. 
and I pick him up and we drive back to this big ranch that he has with a large farmhouse. And he invites me inside and I go inside and he's got these big flags on the wall that look like maybe the Smith & Wesson logo with pistols crossed at the bottom. Um, and he proceeds to tell me, uh, I'm the president of the Outsiders Motorcycle Club, um, and we have had a peace treaty in this part of the world for 30 years against your kind. And he said, while I really appreciate what you did for those girls last night, um, we're going to need to ask you to uh, get the fuck out of here. Um, you're not welcome here. You're disrupting our business. Um, and he basically gave me 24 hours, 36 hours to sell my home um, or pack up and get the, get the hell out of that part of the world um, or else I was going to have extreme issues in my life. And uh, anyway, long story short, um, I, within two days I found um, some people that um, paid off the mortgage on my home and gave me a check for $5,000 and I loaded up a U-Haul truck and I drove out of Central Oregon. Um, and that was the end of a, a really lovely little life that I had built um, for myself. Um, but again, each time you have the opportunity to do something or, or you find yourself uh, doing something like that, um, it costs you. Um, and the reason why is because these are just such counterculture experiences and they are so far outside the norm. Um, and, you know, really it's important for me to say, too, that, that nothing that I've told you so far is meant to uh, disrespect or to, you know, uh, throw shade towards any family or organization in particular. Um, however, it is important to note that it doesn't matter which organization or family you're discussing. All have good and bad in them, all of them. Um, of any type, be it a church or a government body um, or an old family structure. Um, all of them have bad that needs to be eradicated um, or taken care of, you know, and I've, I've witnessed that and experienced it in my own life time and time again. So these incidents, these took place long before you committing the offences that got you into prison this time. So they, these all happened prior to, prior to that. So, so you already had this Correct. sort of, you had this, I don't want to say, I keep using the term, I hate to use it, but you had this sort of vigilante streak in you for a while. You'd been doing these sorts of things and, for sure. and taking the, taking, let's say for the sure. law into your own hands for a while. For sure. For sure. And so you can sort of imagine um, the progression. The difference here was typically, uh, the disruption would take place and I would end up selling my stuff and moving on and moving on to the next town or the next city. Uh, you know, and, and also you can imagine, uh, like the mother of my kids, uh, here I come home stabbed, hair cut off, uh, telling her, you know, Hey, uh, by the way, this, uh, biker club has said, I have to sell the home and move us out of here. You know, things like that don't work <laughs> with a marriage <laughs> very well. So, no. you know, God bless her. God bless her. You know, rest her soul. She's actually passed away now. But uh, for tolerating this sort of, you know, stuff in my life. So Jason is travelling from state to state, following the work that he could find, as well as occasionally having to run from issues left in the wake of his vigilante work. And at some point, that would take him back to his old stomping ground of Alaska. The thing is, I had, as I told you before, I had been 
traveling from from city to city, state to state, doing construction jobs, moving along, and things like that. Well, I had been gone from the state of Alaska for oh, probably around ten years or twelve years, and uh, I flew back home to my home state um, to do some industrial painting projects, um, and it was really good money and these were these were good paying jobs and as i stepped off the plane back into my old stomping grounds my old community number one that same old darkness that same old feeling just permeated uh my consciousness firstly and second of all as i became acquainted um again with the community that was around me um, a whole lot of the youngsters in this community, number one, um, as we discussed earlier, it's now gang-saturated, group-saturated. And firstly, I was absolutely shocked um, at the number of 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old kids running around injecting drugs, no parents around, uh, running amok. Um, like, this town was saturated with that culture. I was blown away. Um, and then number two, as I spent more time in and around Anchorage, a lot of these youngsters were telling me about uh, instances of child um, sex abuse, um, child trafficking, human trafficking, um, some of them being pimped or sold. Um, and just I was hearing about it, hearing about it, hearing about it. And it began to just activate something that was inside of me, you know, um, and that this old... I don't know, just just poison started rising up within me. And so um, there was a girl um, and her sister, and, and I had a conversation with them one night, and she was telling me about this one guy in particular. Um, her sister, who was 14, went to stay at his house, and they got high together for the whole weekend, and the guy molested her um, and raped her, et cetera, et cetera. So I was like, oh, what's his name? And so then I got his name, and uh, I went and paid him a visit. And, uh, I mean, reality of the situation, I knocked on his front door, and when he answered his front door, I pushed him inside and stepped inside with him, um, sat him down in a chair, and I proceeded to open hand, uh, uh, slap him in his face, forehand and backhand, about 25 times while giving him a speech um, about messing with little kids in my home state. Um, and the feeling um, was just so... Uh, just so satisfying and it just felt so correct to do something that I felt was righteous. Um, and again, you have to, you have to connect that to, to living for 10 or 12 years being beaten by one of these people and molested by one of these people systematically. And then to finally be grown and have the roles reversed. And now I'm in charge and, and I'm the one telling you what to do. Um, and so that that's sort of how it began. And then as I got other information from the community, um, I then decided, well, if somebody gives me a name, it'd probably be smart. Let me vet um, these names and just see who these people are. So did people kind of know that you were doing this as in they would come to you if, if they thought, you know, that this person needed I, dealing with? I definitely became something of an underground personality, you know, and there were other occasions where, like I recall going one time, I had the address, um, and it was a locked, um, um, a secure condominium, 
um, and one of the doors happened to be open, so I went up to this address where the door was, and I knocked and knocked and knocked and yelled for the guy's name, and he didn't answer. This was a child pornographer. And I came down out of the meeting, or out of the building, and there was a couple of tough guys that, that had condos that lived there. You know, you could tell they were like the neighborhood watch sort of guys. Um, and again, one of them had one of his dogs on a leash, and they sort of came up to me rather briskly and asked me, like, what are you doing in our apartment complex? Um, and I told him, well, you've got a, a registered sex offender living at this apartment, and I came to deliver a lecture to him um, and slap him up. And they were like, oh, my God, bro, man, thank God somebody like you is around. Man, we've been waiting for something like this. This is great. And, you know, so even members of the community, and they gave me an address. They were like, actually, there's this other guy. And I remember writing down his name and address that they gave me. Um, so, I mean, even the community itself was supportive um, of, you know, somebody coming around and checking up on these people or at least letting them know that the community is watching you or watching out for you. Um, so, yeah, and that, and that also gave me some satisfaction um, because, uh, you know, I, it made me glad to know even the neighborhood tough guys were glad that I was around. So I did have one question for Jason. Well, I had many, but my one question I had after he tells me about this incident, these girls who told him that a guy had attacked their younger sister, what if they were lying? What if they knew of this big guy who would go around to a dude's house and give him a beating if he thought him to be an abuser of some form? They had a grudge against a guy, so they decided to tell him a story in order to get this guy beaten up. I mean, if they were, I will tell you this, I, I am a sensitive and intuitive person um, yeah. and have gained, you know, the ability to discern truth probably from my years of being a liar. Yeah. Um, I mean, and this is not, not something otherworldly. This is a, a tool and an ability that judges and detectives, and, you know, people develop over years. Um, I have that. Um, so in this case, I did not think she was lying. Uh, but then when I encountered the person, um, just the accoutrements of his life, um, drug paraphernalia, et cetera, et cetera, and so forth, pretty much supported her narrative. Um, so in that instance, I was quite certain that I was at the right place at the right time. And sure. his words, his own words supported that. Okay. Um, you would be, ab yeah, you would be absolutely amazed, bro. I have visited a home of a registered uh, pedophile um, who, in the course of our conversation, um, he is sobbing and crying, telling me how um, he had to rent an apartment that was beside a daycare center. And some days that he would not even want to leave his apartment because he had the overwhelming urge to molest one of the children in oh, the Lord. daycare center that he could see out his bedroom window. Um, and so a lot of them were very self-validating. Uh, self um, yeah. But you're right, as I proceeded forward into this, um, I wanted to vet people's stories or accusations and the easiest way for me to do that would be to enter a name into a sex offender registry and see you know perhaps they've got prior convictions and, yep. and if so that would support you know information I was being given Another question I had was regarding Jason and his feelings after he dished out this beating. How did it make him feel? 
did he feel good after he'd done it? Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, it felt great. I yeah. thought it was awesome. And yeah. again, and again too, you have to the the only way you can you can really get understanding of of the thought process and the feeling associated with it is for me to attempt to express to you. I am not a mean spirited person. I'm large and I'm muscular and I'm capable. I don't enjoy fighting. I'm not an angry person. I don't take pleasure in exerting force on others. And there's plenty of people that do. Um, so it took some doing to invoke the energy required to walk into a stranger's home, no mask, no weapon, you know, just bare hands and, and give them a, a, a lecture and a lesson and some corporal punishment as pertains to their behavior when that is something that is foreign to my nature. Um, it's not, you know, it's not who I am. I'm not like some bare knuckle cage fighter or something like that. Um, so it definitely took some energy and some doing, um, and, and I definitely uh, derived satisfaction from it. Okay, Jack, listen, they've just called dinner okay. meal service. Can yep. we take a 20 or 30-minute hiatus, and then I'll call you back and we can finish up? 100%. I'll go eat as well, so I'll talk to you in about 30? Yep. Yes, sir. All right, good man. Talk soon. Okay. All Thank right, you, bye. Jack. Okay, bye. Well, on that note, let's get some chow, and when we come back... Jason talks us through the incident that would become his first of three charges for assault. I found out where he lived, um, and I recall that day I pulled up outside of his, it was like a fourplex. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. So, as always, a huge thank you to everybody who listens to this show and also provides feedback, especially regarding our Q&A episode. A lot of people have said how much they really enjoyed it and would like to hear more. So unfortunately for you, that means you've got some work to do. If you've got a question, comment or thought on the show or any of the cases we cover, 
Then all you need to do is call the number in the show notes below and I will cover it in an upcoming Q&A episode. Now, for some annoying reason, don't ask me why, I couldn't create an actual greeting with the voicemail. So don't get confused when you call and don't hear one. I promise I will get it. Also, I would of course like to give a quick shout out to just some of our valued Patreon members, Brittany Hayes, Jacqueline Brinkat, Rach Calamari, hope I'm pronouncing that right, Rach, Cherry Newman, Jen Jay, uh, Emily Wheeler, Alice Waters, Myra Killick, AJ Bull. A big shout out to you legends this week. Uh, and of course, to all of our Patreons. Thank you so much for your ongoing support each month. For details on how you can become part of the OMR family, click the link in the show notes below. You may start the conversation now. Hello, hello. Hey, hey. What do you? Uh, what did we get on the menu today? Oh, I was going to say I feel recharged after a lovely meal of tree bark with a side of sawdust and thumbtacks. <laughs> Absolutely delicious. Oh dear. Uh, yeah, no. Today was some sort of sliced chicken product, some sort of mashed potatoes, and uh, a cold salad to go with it. So. You have to be very selective, bro, what you eat around here. If you don't, if you don't, we're in a protein desert, basically. Yeah. Uh, Prisons supply you with low value, uh, cheap carbs. uh, And then the the dregs of any vegetables or fruits, that's what you get. They're either not ripe at all or they're absolutely on the verge of being rotten, you know. So you learn to work with what you've got and be very careful with what you eat. Yeah, there's a, a gentleman that I, I speak with who's um, housed in Michigan and he um, he's actually just, believe it or not, released his own cookbook. Um, from he, yeah. he, he, he makes his food, obviously, and he's, he's, got a, he's in a two-man cell situation um, and uh, he uses what he calls a stinger. Uh, yeah. yeah, you know all about stingers, I'm sure. For sure, yeah, to heat the water or heat whatever he's doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, uh, do you, are you actually, we haven't spoken. Are you in a, a cell situation, or are you guys in the with the open bay type setup? So this one is individual cells, uh, two men, two men per cell, um, and this is a very odd prison. Um, it's relatively new for the state of Alaska <clears throat> in the last ten years, anyway, and it's it's odd in that. You know, most prisons, you have a prison cell that has a window that you can see outside, even a small one. This prison is arranged in such a fashion where your window faces the inside of the pod. So the only time we can see outside is by looking through the ceiling um, where there's a couple skylights or the one hour a day you're allowed to go outside. Um, Other than that, we spend our life locked in this particular room. Um, so it's, it's kind of an odd setup. Also, most prisons, you have a toilet sink in your room. Um, you know, something you sort of take pride in polishing and keeping very shiny and chromed out. Um, and this prison is odd with a giant mod with 140 men. And there are three toilets, three urinals upstairs, three toilets, three urinals downstairs. And everyone shares that common bathroom. You've got six Um, toilets for 140 guys. Oh, yeah, it's rough. Let me tell you what, it's rough. <laughs> Deary so, me. Um, like for, yeah, for instance, one time the power went out for about two or three hours, and little did we know the water is controlled by electricity. It's not pressure actuated. Um, so none of the toilets could flush, and none of the sinks would run water for that three or four hours. Uh, and trust and believe, it did not take any longer than that for things to begin piling up uh, for real, for real piling up. 
So Jason tells me that his name started to get around as a guy that would deal with certain individuals who had been convicted of heinous crimes, crimes against minors. He would be given names and he would then go and vet them on the sex offenders registry list. It all actually sounded incredibly easy for Jason to find these people. So I decided to have a look at this myself. As soon as you log on to the site and go to do a search, you're in fact given this warning. Any person who uses information contained in or accessed through this website to threaten, intimidate or harass any individual, including registrants or family members, or who otherwise misuse this information, may be subject to criminal prosecution or civil liability under federal and or state law. So I jumped into the search engine and decided to do a random search in Alaska and see what it would come up with. Okay, so I'm gonna do a little test here. Uh, I'm gonna find, just gonna get a random address in Alaska, in Anchorage, uh, address Alaska, Anchorage. Search my name and or zip code. Okay. okay, so I have just done a search for, whoa. Okay, so I just did a random search in Alaska. I just put in, I, I literally did a Google search for Anchorage zip codes. <clears throat> Pick the first one that I found, typed it in. It's come up with 73 records for that particular area. Now it has given me entire list of 73 these look like they are oh no there's a female i was gonna say they look like all men there was one lady there but there is literally just face after face after face photographs their address aliases that they use their age let's see if i click on someone it gives me what their crime actually was let's just choose someone at random See what it gives me on this information. Okay, so this guy clicked on it random, registered sex offender slash child kidnapper. His race, his hair colour, his date of birth, eye colour, his weight, his employee's address, his residential address, court docket number of his case, his conviction date, the crime in which he's convicted of. This is how Jason would have done it. As we know, Jason says most of the time he would go after specific individuals of people that he'd been given names of. Other times he said it would be more of a spur-of-the-moment decision to want to go and visit someone. Here he talks about one of those times. So most of the time, yeah, for sure. It was specific names that were given to me by community members. However... Um, other times, not so much. So I recall sitting in the public library and I was vetting one of the names that I had been given. And as I was scrolling through the registry, I came across a name and a mugshot of a person that had 14 convictions for sodomy of a minor uh, and something like 10 counts of rape on a minor, um, a total of 24 charges. Um, for sodomizing and raping minors, and I just happened to notice that this was a person that had gotten all of those charges, a conviction in Wyoming or Tennessee or something like that, and he had just recently moved to the state of Alaska um, in the last couple of months. 
And so I remember seeing this person and thinking to myself, you know what? A scumbag like this is going to move into my home state, and you know what he's going to do? He's probably going to start victimizing children again because you don't have 24 total charges of child rape or sodomy against you unless this is a part of who you are. Um, So I recall going to his trailer uh, in some sort of a little trailer park and pounding on the door at 10 o'clock at night. And uh, when he answered the door, same thing. Just walked right past him into his house and told him, come on, man, come on, follow me. Uh, And the thing that's weird is these people, they know what time it is. They know exactly what time it is. Uh, And I made him sit down. um, And in this instance, um, I don't know if I hit him, um, uh, you know, a bunch of times or anything like that, but I most certainly let him know Um, you know, that I'm aware of you and I know what the fuck you've been convicted of and you better stay away from children in this state, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so there's, there was instances like that, um, that I just felt moved to go see someone. So all of these incidents we've heard so far are actually not the ones in which Jason would later be charged for. He would eventually face charges for three specific assaults. He talks me through the very first incident. The first person that I was charged with um, was actually convicted of raping his own daughter. Um, and how I, he, he came on my radar, um, he was registered on the registry for child rape. Well, his daughter had become pregnant from that rape. And so it was one of his daughter's girlfriends that was telling me about this guy who had raped his daughter um, and gotten her pregnant, and he was now babysitting um, and molesting the daughter from the daughter. Um, And as disgusting as that sounds, number one, in terms of his registry, he shouldn't have been around the granddaughter at all. But the sort of mind control that it puts on a rape victim um, from their family culture, um, the, the daughter that was raped was bringing her baby to the person that raped her and allowing him to babysit or interact with the child. Um, so that was the first person that I, that I visited. Um, he, he was a child rapist. That one was just, again, it was very surreal. It was one of those times where I'd heard about it, I had vetted him, I found out where he lived, um, and I recall that day I pulled up outside of his, it was like a fourplex, and it was all very surreal and strange because when I pulled up outside and parked and got out, the entire neighborhood, it was a bright sunny summer day, the entire neighborhood was just dead, quiet. And I walked up to the front door and knocked and knocked and knocked and nobody answered, nobody answered, and no one was home in all four apartments or anywhere around. And I walked around to the back and there was a wooden fence and I, it was one of those fence backyards where you have to reach over the top of the fence to, to hit the latch and, and allow it to swing in. Yeah. So I did that and let, my, let myself into the backyard and I walked around the back and I kid you not, I looked down through a, like a basement window, a lower floor window, and there the guy is sitting in a chair in his bedroom just looking up at me out the window. And I knocked on the window and I said, hey man, get up and go open your front door. And he goes, me? And he pointed at himself and I said, yeah, you get up and go open the front door. And so he got up and left his chair and I proceeded to walk back around to the front and he opened his front door. And when he opened his front door, I literally just walked right past him into into his apartment or into his fourplex and said, come on, man, come on. 
and he followed me inside. And uh, I brought him downstairs and sat him on his own bed, um, just proceeded to open hand, backhand, slap him, and he fell back on the bed a couple of times, you know, and I was just so overwhelmed with disgust um, because I have been that child um, where somebody like him just takes full liberty and comes in and touches you and beats you and does whatever they want to you. Um, you know, I was just overwhelmed with disgust and uh, I just did my absolute best, um, you know, to use corporal uh, punishment and to reinforce to him that he was not to see that baby ever again etc etc and then if i heard that he was seeing her again i was going to come back and visit him again and uh you know it was probably an encounter that lasted i don't know maybe 15 or 20 minutes and uh i left him sitting on the bed in his own bedroom snot running down his face his face all beet red maybe blood running out of his nose You have one minute remaining. And that's where we'll wrap it up for this episode. Coming up in our next episode, Jason talks us through the further two assaults and the one that would see him eventually arrested by police. His home was sort of at the end of a dead-end one-way road. Um, And as I got to the end of that road, the police were just roaring in with their lights on and they saw my car exiting in kind of a hurry and they surrounded me immediately. Next time on One Minute Remaining. One Minute Remaining is a Mash Pumpkin production. Produced, hosted and created by Jack Lawrence. Editing and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans. This show is part of the ACAST Creator Network. <laughs>